Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Okay. Um, I'm not used to being the host of this show, but I guess it's my responsibility to uh, jump in and welcome everybody today. Uh, you're all listening, every one of you, uh, to Cafe Bitcoin, and uh, I welcome you to it. Uh, it is the place to get your morning news about Bitcoin. It's the place where the greatest minds in Bitcoin come to hang out. Hopefully, if you are one of the great minds, please feel free to request us and request to join us up here on stage and uh, and we welcome you all uh let's see who we've got up here we've got jacob Ant, peter dom terence wicked is connecting um, but failing to connect it's not, not that unusual good morning everybody how are you all doing today good good morning see wicked's got that dsl connection this morning yeah well, and I, I'm just relieved that uh, I myself was able to connect this morning. I don't, I don't do this hosting thing often. So, and there's such a big audience that comes here, and there's such a responsibility I feel uh, in hosting this show. So, I'm always a little nervous when we kick off, and then, then I get lost in the conversation, I suppose, and everything goes well. So, uh, thanks for helping up here. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Anything anybody wants to get off their chest right away? Fair enough. <laughs> Another day. It's dreary weather where I am. It's kind of raining and gloomy, miserable. So I'm not even able to do the show from outdoors. But what what can you do, right? You, I'm a professional. I'll rise above it. Um, do we normally just dive straight into the morning news at this point, or is there is is there something else we should be tackling? Uh, let's see. We haven't made fun of Peter yet. Mm-hmm. I felt that something was wrong. I felt something was missing. I'm not particularly good at making fun of other people, but uh, if someone else wants to take the appropriate job, Terrence, I see you're on stage. Surely Peter's done something that you can talk <laughs> Uh, Peter's been great lately. I have no complaints. <laughs> oh, it's just going to be a love in today, then. Peter's, no, Peter's, Peter's been the hold on, hold on. Peter's been humbled lately. Okay, let's just let's just leave it at that. Oh, you don't want to elaborate on the details of what's been humbling because it's well, I've been humbled. Can be I've been humbled in my personal life, and I've also been humbled in my technical life. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Listen, uh, it's always a good lesson to be humbled. I get humbled almost every single day on something or other. Um, and uh, and 
trying to host the show may be a pretty humbling experience for me today. Hey, here. Tomer. Yeah. When when you set up your 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 start nine uh, embassy oh so long ago. Yeah. Was it was it a was it a, a trying process for you or was it a very smooth? I've I've talked to people who've had a very smooth process and I've talked to people who've had a more difficult process. I would say that it uh, it wasn't without bumps in the road, but uh, I've if I compare it to what I thought it would be, which is like setting up a server with a lot of applications on the server and administering those applications, it was it was very easy. I'll tell you. Um, and which one did which uh, which one do you have? Do you have the one that runs on a Raspberry Pi or an Intel? Or I have the Embassy Pro. I I, I don't know okay. what it runs on. It runs on Intel. That's a top of the line one. I've got that one now. Um, and I, I had to upgrade to that one. And I was in t- like you, well, maybe not like you, but f- for me, I was intimidated at setting it up because I had the old one working. And even though it was just on an old Raspberry Pi uh, and this was going to provide a lot of performance improvements, I was a little nervous, you know, I've got because at this point I had lightning set up and I had significant funds in that lightning wallet. And I was scared that something would go wrong. But eventually I finally decided to bear down and do it. And that was a very smooth process uh, for me. It wasn't an initial setup. It was an upgrade from moving one over to the other. And it took some time because it had to copy the entire, well, everything that was on there, including the entire Bitcoin blockchain. So there's a little bit of nail biting. Everything went fine, but there was just like nail biting while it did the copy and then while it did the rebooting and while it did the syncing and all, all that kind of stuff. But it was a very smooth process, and I've been really impressed with the Embassy Pro. I, I feel like you know, it, it's like I've got an atom bomb to kill an ant here because I'm just running, I'm running one Bitcoin node and one Lightning node that's relatively small and a few other little applications, and I've got this Pro server that could probably handle websites with high amount of traffic on it. But um, but so it's it's very responsive and very snappy. But I I did have. Um, I did have some challenges in my initial setup, all of which the people at Start9 through their Telegram group were always able to help. And anytime I had an issue, this I, I would post it in the Telegram group and someone would quite quickly respond to me and say, let's take this to DM. I'll tell you this, though, Peter. One of the things that I found is sometimes you just have to wait. Like the challenge, like you have to wait for the blockchain to sync. Yeah, and then when you start up Lightning, you have to wait for Lightning LND to sync up and get the channels established. It's not like it's not like you launch Microsoft Word and then you just start typing. There's a few things that have to kind of catch up, and so quite often by the time someone got back to me from Start Nine, and this wasn't very long, it was like you know thirty minutes or so, everything was working fine. So I thought I thought my channels weren't syncing. It was just no, it took time to sync. I, I thought this, I thought that, and then everything was, um, and everything kept getting restored to normal. Recently, someone uh, who I've had channels with for a long time said, hey, your channels seem to be down now because they, they'd had their channels down. So I said, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to restart LND. That didn't work. So I said, I'm going to restart the server. I got to go out. I'll come back. Let, let me know what happened. And a server restart fixed everything. So sometimes yeah. it's just turning it off and turning it back on again and waiting. Yeah, I had a I, I set mine up yesterday and um it was a I think it was yesterday, maybe it was the day before, but it was a long and arduous process. But the but the start nine uh telegram group was was really um 
pivotal in my ability to set it up. And my problems were not only with with some issues with the um, Start 9 OS that just kind of happen, as you say, those are the, the little bumps in the road, um, but also with my with my operating system, I was having kind of unique issues with that. I'm good at breaking stuff when it comes to software. Um, and um, also the, what, what I was, I was following the instructions, the start nine uh, instructions for the setup, which is really great because they have these, these pictures that you kind of follow along with. And unfortunately I would get to the next step and I was not looking at what, what I was being told to look for. And so um, it was a it was a head scratcher for the uh, for the tech that was also helping me. So, mm. but but you're actually you you started yesterday and you're all set up already today. Well, um, not quite because um, so I've got Bitcoin Core running. Um, yeah. I was able to 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 download Bitcoin Core in about eighteen hours, which which was pretty quick. Uh, but uh, I'm not able to get onto the local host yet because I have to get a. I'm, I'm waiting on a router to come oh, okay. um, because the Xfinity slash Comcast uh, modem gets in the uh, it, it gets in the way of the of the uh, local area network. And so now what I have to do the the stack is going to be from the wall jack to the modem. And then to the router, and then the uh, server is going to sit at the at the very top of that stack, so that the modem can't interfere with the um, with the uh, with the local area network. And the tech said that Comcast slash Xfinity and AT and T are really really bad when it comes to uh, interfering with LANs and um, snooping. Got it. Yeah, I I never had any of those problems with my internet service providers, and I've I've switched internet service providers, and everything's continued to run super smooth. So I've been really, really pleased with that. Um, but if you, if, you know, if there's technical details that you have to overcome with respect to your internet service provider, that can be that can be a hassle, I suppose. Yeah, that the 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 technical detail to overcome is is get a router and uh, put the server at the top of the stack. Mm -hmm. But like you've described this as a humbling experience, and given that you know in a short period of time, like in a single day, you're getting something very significant running. Like I, I think people don't appreciate just how complicated the whole internet is. Largely a broken experience against its vision. That is, it was meant to be a decentralized thing that we could all use, is broken because servers are so hard to set up. And because they're unavailable, right? Like we all have personal devices, personal computers, personal smartphones, personal tablets now um, that are not always on and, and not always running applications. So if you want to receive email, you have to rely on someone who's got their email server up and running all the time, like Google, Gmail presumably, right? Or your companies that has a server running all the time. If you want to have a social networking solution, you look, well, Facebook has their servers running all the time. You can't receive messages when your computer is off. So this whole client server architecture, we've all become clients who do no computing and, and turn on from time to time to connect to a server and request our data. And what happens is the people who own the servers own our data and own the internet. Here we sit on Twitter or X, whatever the thing is called today. Uh, and we are all dependent on Twitter's servers being up and running for this whole experience to work. 
And but if you use Facebook, you're relying on that. And if you use Google, you're relying on that. There's no decentralized internet. There's no decentralized communication. Even for email, we're connecting to central servers who, in the case of Google, read out every one of your emails to better figure out what advertising to target to you. It's not easy to set up a server. It's not easy to run a server. I, I used to be a CTO, not a very good one, not a very sophisticated one, but I was a chief technology officer at a company. And we had a team of system administrators to keep our servers up and running. And they had to be on call 24-7 because these things couldn't go down. So it required full-time experienced people to run servers. And here now I've had my Start9 Embassy OS device for over a couple of years. Took a, took a few days to get it up and running. It runs more applications than my company did that I was the CTO of that had a staff of three system administrators. And I spend negligible time, like I, I wouldn't even say an hour a month administering it. And it runs as a server and it runs a password manager for me. It runs a full Bitcoin core stack, including Bitcoin core, LND, uh, things on top of... Uh, things on top of lightning it so it, it stays up and running 24 7 running everything that's needed for that i think i may have mentioned it's got a password manager it's got a couple of other things running on there that are 24 7 365 availability servers and i, I don't have red, i don't have a redundant server running as a backup which is something that corporations obviously do have but it's it's a remarkable thing to be able to run a server without sysadmin training or DevOps training as it's become now, and and you've got your own physical infrastructure. Like you, you're not on the, the cloud, which is somebody else's server. You're you've got your own twenty four seven data availability um, that you can connect to, and that you can make available to other people. I've got a file sharing server on there, so I can share files with anybody over Onion. So it's it's with Tor, so it's confidential. It, it really is remarkable. And I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg of it. We can go down this uh, this path of discussion and how things like Noster also bring decentralization to the internet because it's not one server owned by one person that does the serving, but relays that, uh, that, that your client can connect to multiple relays. So it, there's different ways. So it's just, we're, we're starting to witness the very early days of a shift back to the way the internet's meant to be that will work well without forming these titans who control us on it. And it's, it's all positive. And so I guess I would just salute you for going through the process, Peter. Um, and, uh, and even if it's humbling in a sense, it's a little tricky. It's part of the way that we need to run uh, in, in the future so that we don't just end up as the product of these other uh, of these other services, right? There's that famous saying, if you're not paying for the service, then you are the product. And it's true, right? Twitter makes money by, like, some, some people here I see have blue check marks of you're paying for Twitter, but the rest of us don't. And that means Twitter's trying to make money off of us by mining our data and selling our data and selling our, uh, and selling our proclivities to advertisers who, who want us to, uh, purchase their product, and um, and this hasn't played out well because it it draws people into uh, it. It draws these companies. It requires these companies to monetize us. Right? They only survive if they do something to us that's valuable to somebody else. 
it's not a it's not a great relationship and they end up becoming dependent on engagement and the way that they farm engagement the way that they create engagement is through triggering us to become emotionally triggered uh nervous scared you know emotions like fear work a lot more effectively um and emotions like hate work a lot more effectively so you see that the algorithms tend to drive people to extremes uh to make them paranoid to divide groups of people it's like it's a big part of the problem that our society is dealing with today, remarkably drawn into the fact that the internet has an advertising business model and and all of the implications that that leads to. So we've got to get off of that, is my own personal view. Whew, long rant. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to fill the show with some kind of content. And And we didn't even have to insult Peter. We could compliment him. Well, we... About take, yet. Take, oh, hold on, the, hold on. Take oh, that, here we go. So go ahead, guys. Someone wanted to talk. Peter, Peter, then it was dumb who was speaking. No, I was just going to say, God bless the tech that was on the phone with Peter, you know, and he's telling him to open a window. And Peter is talking about how, you know, it's cold outside and the tech, like, for what? Um, God bless that tech, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, listen, these the, the, the patient tech people, I'm, I'm not picking on Peter here, but the patient tech people who have to somehow tell, without seeing somebody else's screen, tell them what to click on. Now, hold on, now hold on, Tomar. Yeah. I, I, I actually was sending him screenshots and he was scratching his head. He was like, that right. button is there for a reason. I don't understand why you can't click it. And I literally was not able to, there was things I was not able to do that he had not run into. So it was actually a learning experience for him. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it was also, a, it was a huge learning experience for me. He was very patient. Um, we, we, we spent about five hours on this. And, and the problem was, is that we, I was having issues with, with the, with the computer's OS, with the modem, with the start nine OS, there was all kinds of things that were going on all at the same time. And of course, each problem has to be, there has to be a, a deduction of, uh, or a, a, a reduction of where the issue lies and then trying to find it, you know, trying to find it's okay, a where's this bug, huh? It's a rule out. You got to rule it all out. Yeah. I'm you got to rule it all out. And that takes time and you're just kind of going, okay, let's do this. Let's try that. Let's try this. And it was such a long, it was just a long process, but you know, it's up and running. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was just generally giving a nod to all the people who have to work in tech support and help and help people out. It's, um, <laughs> I, you know, there, there are certain tech support roles that really are turn it off and turn it back on again. That's what I get from my television, internet, uh, phone company. I, whenever I have, uh, technical challenge that's all they can do and if turning it off and turning it back on again doesn't work then return the equipment we'll give you new equipment and if that doesn't work then we'll send somebody out to your house uh, who doesn't actually work for the company but might know what they're doing and I've, I've been doing some tech support in my household or in my extended household helping my in-laws who are both in their mid to late 70s uh, hook things up to bluetooth or whatever and that can be that can be quite daunting, especially when you're not in the on property with them. So I just have a lot of respect for uh, for people who have to demonstrate the patience to make that kind of thing happen. 
But yeah. with that said, with all that said, let's uh, let's maybe turn. Is there something, anything else anybody wants to add as just a general comment before maybe we turn to the news? Yeah, I was just going to say that sometimes uh, I've worked in tech for a long time, tech support, and I can tell you that most of these problems are what we identify as PEBCACs, P-E-B-K-A-C, which is problem exists between keyboard and chair. And there's a lot of times whenever you come into the into the office or whatever just to even help the person, there's a proximity uh, effect that happens. Like sometimes just even being in the room, it will fix on its own. And then they're like, oh, thank goodness you came in here. And it's not that. It's just, it's peb, pebcacks. People have to click stuff. You have to like hover on things and like yeah. click things. Yeah. It is amazing that when someone has no confidence in their ability to do something, that impacts their ability to do something. Right? If they think they can get it done, it gets done. If they think they can't get it done, there's a anxiety that develops that prevents them from from getting it done. So self-esteem, self-confidence, giving it a try, being methodical, patient, taking things step by step uh, works. And there's just different domains that people are different. You know, some people are really comfortable in the kitchen. Some people can't boil water. Some people are really comfortable around technology. Others are afraid to press the power button. And so uh, it's just... Yeah, but this is what you get around here. People mess around with some of this stuff in this stage in 2023, where the UX and the UI across the entire ecosystem is lacking still. And, you know, it's like it, people say like in financial terms or in adoption terms that Bitcoin now is like the Internet back in the 90s. But it's also like that technically, like, you know, you were there, Tomer, you remember messing around with your old 2400 bo uh, baud modem and stuff like you had to go into some weird you had to click some button that would open up some little window so that you could have a field that you could put in like a port number or, or whatever else just to even connect. And I mean, I get excited about all this stuff, all, all those little challenges that Peter just went through to get his node running, like every single one of those steps. I know it's frustrating, but you get better at it. You get smarter at it. And it's, I mean, I still get excited about it all. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I, I, what you're saying, I remember how hard it used to be to connect to the internet. And like that's such a bizarre statement because everybody's always connected to the internet all the time now. So like, what do you mean connect to the internet? <laughs> Your devices were not connected to the internet. You had to configure software. You had to put control panels into a Mac or God only knows. I can't even remember what you had to do on a PC uh, to get set interrupt switches on the physical hardware and get the software going. And then you had to go through the connection ritual dial a phone you know plug the phone into the computer the connection the dial did you get a busy signal did it connect did the connection stay did someone pick up the phone oh no while you were connected to the internet and it dropped the connection it just you take it for granted now that you know you don't think about connecting to the internet unless you're in some bizarre place where you don't actually have an internet connection and 90 percent of your life you're connected to cellular networks, Wi-Fi networks, maybe even physical networks. And it was hard and unreliable. And now and now it's super easy. And it, it's I, I've heard Michael Saylor say this before. He says, you know, technology doesn't work until it does, which I think is just a it's a great line. I don't I don't know where I first heard it or where he might have first heard it. But it is, you know, people who are critical of technology are always they get stuck in this mode like, it, oh, it doesn't work well now. So I can dismiss it. 
And that's not the way it works. It's not the way it worked with the automobile, you know, which was pretty, pretty crappy. You had to turn a crank to get it going. It was unreliable. Nobody sold gas anywhere. The roads weren't paved. Uh, so it, it didn't perform well. But but now things have changed. And the same is true of electricity. And the same is true of the internet and technology. And the same is coming true for technologies like the kind we're discussing uh, here on Cafe Bitcoin. Dom, I see your hand up being so patient. Yeah, this, this brings up something I was thinking about the other day. And that was, you know, we think about technology and the ability to navigate the internet or, or tablets, phones, computers as getting natively easier with the younger generations. Um, and I'm always interested in asking folks like, hey, like um, I work with a lot, you know, I don't have kids, but there's a lot of folks I work with that are always on the phone with their kids. And I go, ask them about Bitcoin, ask them about Bitcoin. I want to just hear what they say, you know, their response. And I kind of also have this feeling like they're almost reverting to boomer level knowledge. Some some get very skilled and adapt at coding, you know, early, but then because of the third party apps that are around, you know, there is a large uh, swath of younger folks I come into contact with that are like, they're almost like back to that, um, you know, they, they have difficulty navigating more complex things because all these apps just feed them you know, everything so easily. And that, that I think is an interesting, I'm curious on what your guys' thoughts are as far as some of these, um, you know, being able to run a node, you would, you would imagine that it, this just becomes like very easy for a younger Gen Z, uh, individual, but I'm curious on your thoughts, if there's still going to be those problems, uh, and if the third party route is going to be one of the, the main ways to get to that next layer of adoption. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon you bring up because I do think we we went through a, a a technology adoption experience for civilization where people were were deemed as digital immigrants. Those are people who who were moving into a world who were born before digital came and had to immigrate into a digital world. Digital natives, people who were born into a digital world, the younger generation. But I, I think the point is well taken. They're born into this client-server model of a digital world where they not only are not expected to do anything other than just use third-party services in a client-server model, they haven't been able to develop skills. So those of us who were digital immigrants who had to kind of mess around and connect to the internet, if you will, right, and set up modems and set up computers and all this kind of stuff we didn't have this beautiful out-of-the-box experience we actually ended up understanding a little bit more about technology than in some cases people who are users of such easy technology that it it just works and you you, you open up the box and uh and it connects you enter your password and it works and if it doesn't then then there's something broken with the technology there's nothing for you to fix uh, so we've kind of been talking about about this and i do think that um it is it is important that people start to learn how to run the technology that's going to empower them and free them from the 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 control under which they the control which they are under when they're using third party services that 
you know, that have terms and conditions, but can change the terms and conditions at any point in time, and that you, you don't even really bother to read their terms and conditions. And if you did, you'd be shocked at what you've agreed to. So we, there is, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, Mickey, go ahead. You've got your hand up. Hey guys, good morning. Um, kind of speaking to Dom's point, I, I don't, I don't think the tools are necessarily too difficult. I think people are just afraid to take responsibility for their lives, you know, kind of channeling <clears throat> my inner Jordan Peterson here. But, you know, it's it's stuff I've seen with, with friends and family is that, you know, everybody wants Bitcoin when the price is ripping, um, but they don't, they don't want to do their due diligence. So they freak out when it crashes. You tell them they should get in self-custody. They're scared. They're scared. They're scared. They're going to lose it, you know, but, but at the same time, they'll leave it on BlockFi, you know, because you get your yield or they'll leave it on Celsius, you know? And, and so I think it's just the biggest hurdle is, is probably just getting people to give a shit, you know, and getting them to take responsibility for their own lives and stop being, uh, <clears throat> you know, just stop being like an NPC, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the real, the real question is when people have fallen into this, you can't discard them, right? Like there's, you have you have to find a way to help them out of the quagmire that they're in, and and there is when it when it is a problem like I don't want to take responsibility. I'm scared of the consequences of responsibility, and I'm not saying that there's an easy answer here, but if you just turn away and say, "Well, you're you're an NPC. You know, there's nothing I can do for you." Um, you're you're not able to be part of the solution because because the big part of the solution is getting more and more people to say, you know, I I will take personal responsibility. I will not delegate all the responsibility to some corporation who's who has different interests in me to the state that has different interests for me to politicians that have different interests for me. I will have to look after my own interests and defend them, or nobody will look after my own interests. And and I think that the that's a scary statement for people to confront. Right? Like there's nobody really looking out for me, especially the people who say that they're looking out for me. They're looking out for themselves, and um, and that's not the world any of us really want to live in. We want to live in a world where we can rely on other people to look out for us. And I think that's that. There's a there's a real element to that world where, where enough of us are looking out for ourselves in a system where we're also looking out for each other in the same way, like like a system like Bitcoin we're talking about, right? And in, in, in protecting my own wealth by running a node, you know, I'm protecting everybody else's as well. And so it's a mutually supportive system. And I think it can give people some relief that says, you know what, there is personal responsibility here. But it's not you against everybody else. And it's you in collaboration with everybody else, protecting your mutual self-interest. I think that's a really beautiful thing about this. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that we've got hundreds of people here in the morning uh, is just an example of that, right? It's, it's not everybody here out only for themselves. They, they do care about themselves. They have taken responsibility for their their own savings for their own preservation of their their wealth but they're doing it through this 
communal system that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be changed, that doesn't have someone in charge of it who's changing the terms and conditions uh, from time to time because it suits them and it will help them uh, improve their position over over you. So there's just something very special and unique about this at at a time when people are scared to take personal responsibility because it otherwise feels like such a lonely endeavor. Um, and yet the, the act of not taking personal responsibility means subjecting yourself to victimhood, uh, to, to exploitation, whether it's through, in the case of talk of Bitcoin often, inflation, debasement, censorship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but in all of these other s- systems, there's some form of exploitation uh, where if you haven't taken personal responsibility, you're getting exploited. And, and just using this, and, and the system is set up only to, to exploit you because there's no way to take personal responsibility within the system. Like how on Facebook do you take personal responsibility? I had a situation where a very close family member just recently woke up one morning and Facebook had canceled them, uh, claiming that there was a copyright violation, infringement. There were no warnings, no strikes issued, nothing. And it had already triggered to the point where an appeal was not even possible. That person's still off of Facebook. Everybody's vulnerable to that. Someday you wake up and you're canceled with, with Facebook's platform. Nobody is vulnerable to that on on, uh, on Bitcoin, right? And so this need to take personal responsibility, I feel like I'm starting to ramble now, but this need to take personal responsibility in a system where it's not all on your shoulders, right? Like if any of you stop running your nodes, Bitcoin will still function. Uh, many of you don't run nodes. Bitcoin still functions. It's not all on your shoulders. You don't have to do the coding. You don't have to do the development. But together, we're really we're really strong together and able to have our own uh, our own personal responsibility around our wealth. All right. I feel like I've given way too long an answer to to what might not even have been a question from you, Mickey. Um, yeah, and I, I guess going off what you said is is <clears throat> you can be there to help people, right? And so I am. Um, I had three people. So here's the story of three people in BlockFi, right? I tell them all, you need to get your stuff off now. Okay. One of them has me, I set up a, uh, I set up a vault for him in my unchained account. He sends me his Bitcoin into my self custody. And then he learns on BTC sessions. I send it back to him in about a month when he sets up, when he has all of his hardware set up. Next guy is afraid of self custody. He dodges the bankruptcy, sends it all to Coinbase, and it's been sitting there ever since. I finally just got him to order something. He ordered a Trezor. It'll be here in about a week. Um, But it took him over a year to take that step. The last people, they didn't take any steps whatsoever, and they lost about $10,000. They lost everything on BlockFi, still going through the bankruptcy. And so you you can be there for people and try to teach them as much as you want. But if they don't want to learn... I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do. That's um, a great story. Hey, Mick. Mick like, yeah, if you if you run that in reverse, Mick, that's the Bitcoin three little pigs. But you just have to reverse the order. But you got that there. That's that's locked. I was going to say it, it sounds like a, a it sounds like a, a fairy tale or a nursery story. There, there was, it is the, like the three little pigs, right? One, one kept his coins in a house of hay. One moved them to a a house of sticks, and then another one put it, and eventually put it into a house of bricks. Um, and and what an what an interesting parable of the story of the three little pigs really is to monetary so- sovereignty, and that Bitcoin is the house of bricks. 
we could probably have quite a bit of fun with that. So as a boomer who has gone through this process and has gotten a little ways down the road, I'd like to say that it's, Mickey, it's not a, it's not that they are afraid to learn. It's the, the fiat virus, is, it runs deep. And, you know, it took me a long time to go to self-custody because I, I feared the responsibility, as I think, as I look back on it, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I've lived without having, as Tomer was saying, you don't have any responsibility when you're on Facebook. Well, in our fiat uh, financial world, we really don't have a lot of responsibility, really. I mean, there's always kind of somebody there to help us or somebody there to watch over what we're doing. We've relinquished that. Um, that that's the cost of the fiat system is relinquishing your responsibility to the central uh, uh, entity. And so for me, it, it took me a long time to get to that point where I was willing to take on that responsibility. And the, I re still remember vividly the first night that I had um, moved all of my Bitcoin off of the exchange and into cold storage. I vividly remember going to bed thinking, wow, this is this is so scary. I've got all of my all of my assets um, underneath my mattress. I'm in total control of them. I woke up the next morning and of course um, I was concerned about what was going on in the stock market. I was concerned about my equity portfolio. Didn't even think about what I had in cold storage. And that was a really telling moment because later in the day I went, oh wow, I'm not even worried about that. And why would I be? This is absolutely secure. And so I think it's I think the the combination of the fiat virus um and and our our expectations of of so long of not having that responsibility um and the the uh, the apparent the 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 perceived difficulty that I'm going to go through to have to learn this new system um prevented me from doing it and it's actually quite easy. I, I like what Lisa Huff has put out. If you can, if you can email, you can self custody because it is that easy. Yeah, Peter, that's a great point, and I, th I think that was kind of the whole point of what I was saying. Um, and it, it's really sad to me because the people that lost everything in BlockFi is is a married couple. Um, one one's a retired teacher, one's a retired police officer, and so they have they have like government pensions. And so like I was trying to help them sort of diversify, um, you know, out of sort of that risk. I don't, I don't, I guess I, I don't think they understand the risk of being, you know, fully dependent on municipal government pensions. And so trying to teach them about Bitcoin and it, it just, it just didn't work out. And it, it's that whole responsibility thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this Go is on. this 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 is why even even at the risk of losing folks out of the gate, you know, I caught a ride to the airport the other day. I will not move past self custody, um, you know, on the initial like if I'm going to give someone a tip or something, and I have limited time. If we can't get past self custody, like I won't, you know, that's it. Like, like it'll it'll leave with a to be continued, um, and. You know, it's such an important lesson if you can start from self-custody out of the gate. Um, even even if, you you know, some people can be like, nope, uh, if 
I can't just go on some exchange and connect my bank account real easily and give them my money and have them hold my stuff, then I'm out. Um, all right. Uh, until, until something, you know, that suits your fancy comes along. Um, but it's tough because you will lose, you know, that's the greatest gift we can give is self custody, you know, and, and right, right behind that, I think running a node is up there for, for everyday folks. And, um, there's some challenges, but there's some easier combos right now, you know, with different wallets where you can leave like a, Hey, start small here. And then, and then understand that you don't control this. You don't own this. This is like, you have a house that you don't have the keys to, and you're relying on someone to open the door in and out for you to get your belongings. Um, but you know, here's a way that you can own the key. Uh, and so just starting from self custody, you know, Uh, this has been a really good discussion this morning on, the, I, I think at the end of the day, the topic of responsibility. Thank you for getting us started on it, Peter, with your discussion of set, setting up your node, which is an act of self-responsibility. I'm like, I'm motivated to think hard on this topic and, and write something about it because I think the spectrum of what what people deem to be responsibility has changed so dramatically over the last 70 years, 100 years, 50 years, whatever time frame you want to describe it, that that the word has probably changed meaning uh, in, in a number of ways and that people don't understand, especially when we talk about something like self-responsibility. They don't understand how things used to be, how you, know, you were at the end of the day, the buck stopped with you for so much. And that when we delegated responsibility to institutions initially, it was to make things easier. But then ultimately, we now find that we can't rely on those institutions in the same way that we had expected when we set them up. And it's not even the same people when we say we, you know, we, we today can't rely on those institutions to do what the people who set those institutions up to do when they set them up because it was too hard to individually be responsible for so many different things and now we find ourselves desperately trying to claw back our responsibility or or just having given up and surrendered our responsibility for so many things our nutrition healthcare education financial and care safety just so many of these things we are not responsible for them anymore other than following orders um so it's uh it's a big topic, and I'm inspired to think about it. But but I'm also inspired to change the subject now, um, as we're wrapping up. You know, 45 minutes into this morning's episode of Cafe Bitcoin. Thank you all for listening. We've got some interesting news topics to look at. Well, not a lot, uh, but the first one that uh, Jacob shared with me, which I thought was kind of interesting, is uh, Paul Krugman, who is a Nobel Prize winning fiat economist uh, has 4.5 million followers on on x.com, twitter.com, not sure what to call it, uh, put out a short tweet thread the other day saying um, he thinks the inflation target shouldn't be 2%, it should be 3%. And uh, if it's 3%, um, that kind of makes more sense, and we're already there according to the way that it's measured. So we should be declaring victory. There's a lot of irony um, in this. I mean, where does the two percent come from in the first place? Where where does three percent come from? Three percent 
for those who can do the math, which this Nobel Prize laureate and doesn't seem to take into consideration, is 50% higher than 2%. It's, you know, so it's like, well, the inflation should be 50% more than what we thought it should be uh, at, at 3% versus 2%. 2%. It's, it's quite dramatic, the, the compound impact of your loss of savings, the loss of purchasing power of your income, your savings, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is greatly accelerated by a 3% target. And then, of course, I know we talk, discuss this a lot here. There's no way inflation is only 3%, right? Like every, everybody who actually spends money uh, on on things in real life can feel that the inflation has been much more than 3% and continues to be. You know, I, I feel the inflation at the pumps seems to be like 3% a month, right? I remember not too long ago, I'm in Canada, so we buy gas by the liter using Canadian dollars. But I just say, you know, it's gone up by it's gone up by more than 10 percent in the last few months. So I don't see how 3 percent per year uh, squares with that uh, unless there were, you know, some offsetting declines in prices of things someplace else. But I don't remember seeing anything coming down in price. (laughs) What do you guys have to say about this is this, you know, Pierre Richard has a reply to Paul Krugman just asking, is this a parody account? Uh, but there's a lot, there's a lot packed into it. Um, I know people who aren't on the stage here, but who are regulars have come up before and said, watch, just watch. They're going to move the target to 3% or, or some other rate rather than, um, than, than fix the target. And of course they'll fudge the numbers. So Take it away, uh, wicked. So, so I mean, I just did the the simple math, right? And the difference between two percent and three percent over the course of an average U.S. resident's life, which, by the way, average life expectancy in the United States is seventy-seven years. Okay, so the difference between two percent and three percent over the course of seventy-seven years is either losing eighty percent of your purchasing power or 90 <laughs> both are pretty bad um obviously 90 is worse than 80 i mean it seems like it's probably it's probably still like at a level where you know the frogs aren't aware that they're getting boiled so i would i would encourage you wicked to, to run it over a shorter period of time because that's where the difference is really like you know when you're losing one percent or one and a half percent for a thousand years you lose 99.9 percent so you're running it over a very long period of time, but run the three compound three percent over ten years versus two percent over ten years, and right? You, and you get and a I real think the, feeling for the difference there. Well, I mean, but the difference over ten years isn't drastic, right? Like it's let's see, I'll just do it right now. So over ten years at two percent, you lose you know roughly eighteen eighteen percent in total, you know, of, of your purchasing power over the course of ten years. That's at two percent inflation, and at three percent inflation. You know, you lose uh, twenty. Was it twenty six, roughly? Well, that's pretty big difference, isn't it? That's yeah, I guess eighteen that's versus twenty six, and and that's the yeah. point that I'm trying to make. Like the, you know, when you're when you're talking about numbers as big as losing eighty or ninety percent of something, you've you've lost it all, and it's over a long period of time. But this, to me, is is really the key to the insidious thing about. Um, about inflation. And I don't know actually how old you are, Wicked, but like I'm in my early 50s now. And the, the awful thing about it is because it's a slow boil, right? You, su- you suffer from it for 
20, 30 years, once you start working and you get halfway through your career and you think you're saving up a good bunch of money. And then one day you wake up and the price of gas is double what it was. And the price of food is triple what it was. And all this money that you set aside, which you thought for 20 years was good enough, you suddenly realize, oh, my God, it's not. And, and I've heard this fear from generations of people coming before me. Right? I've heard it from um, my, my parents' generation, people saying that the thing that had them most scared as they got older was that they would outlive their money because nobody wants to live in poverty as an old person. And, and this was something that was catching up. And, and why was it catching up? They'd been responsible, hear that word again, all their lives. But something, they got rug pulled, right? Something got pulled out from under them, which is <clears throat> the money that they saved no longer bought the things that they used to think it would buy. And it is so insidious. It's such a joke, right? Like, I, you know, I, oh, I remember when candy bars were whatever, a nickel or 25 cents or a dollar 25. It's one way to reflect. But when you hear somebody saying that, they're, they're really lamenting the, um, the loss of their savings and the fear that they have that they will not be able to sustain themselves and any dependence that they still have at that age um, or become a burden on their children who they w weren't planning on becoming a burden. Like, this is really the evil thing about uh, about a fiat re regime, because because it, it's so sneaky at how it steals so grad so gradually. And so this three percent increase from Paul Krugman, which over the course of ten years would steal twenty a quarter of somebody's money instead of only eighteen percent of somebody's money, twenty six percent instead of eighteen. I think I think he calculated, and it gets a little bit worse. You know. Right? at 20 is, is just like, let's, it's awful. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. And it, and, um, and it's something that we need to do our very best to put an end to because it's way out of control. You know, if, if we weren't taxed left, right, and center, and the inflation weren't really even higher than these things, some of this could be tolerable but we're living at a point in time where it just feels completely intolerable I, I i don't know if other people are are not as bothered by it as i am but we, you know when it really comes in your face as it has in the last two years we're we're living under intolerable conditions and and the long-term consequences of, of this are terrifying so Tomer, would you say that you know now that you've adopted bitcoin as i'm assuming you've you've kind of adopted it as a as your unit of account right i'm i'm assuming most of your savings are in bitcoin and you kind of view the world through an orange lens like you kind of think about things in terms of bitcoin maybe uh, i know i do but would you say with that lens has the inflation bothered you more now or less because for me like you know Having watched the prices of things since last cycle, right? I haven't been orange pilled very long. I've been orange pilled, you know, since just before kind of the the bull run happened. So I've seen prices in terms of Bitcoin collapse by, you know, upwards of of whatever, eighty percent at the top and, and they're still down, you know, fifty percent in terms of Bitcoin from when I first started paying attention to things priced in terms of Bitcoin. So like to me, everything's gone half half price since I kind of started thinking about it in terms of Bitcoin. 
and I've kind of stopped caring as much about prices in terms of dollars. I understand that like the, 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 you know, thought of inflation being a really bad thing that's stealing from a lot of people who are still using fiat as their unit of account. But at the same time, it's like, well, (laughs) here's this better money, which, you know, over the course of, you know, a, a number of years, always seems to make things cheaper right everything in price in terms of it just keeps getting cheaper and cheaper so it's like why why are you still using the shitty money when this better money is here and uh you know like all of us over here our our lives are getting easier because we're saving in this better money uh while you're you know you're the frog in the pot and like you know we're trying everything we can do to wake you up realize that you're boiling but Sometimes you just got to fucking boil and then, uh, <laughs> and then eventually you figure it out. But I don't know. Like, what do you think? Are you, has it made you more aware or less, less kind of aware, not aware, not less aware, but like less affected or, you know, you don't really care as much about it on a personal level. Well, I mean, I, I think that there's a couple of things, the volatility that we've experienced across everything but including the bitcoin price has you know i I felt a lot wealthier when bitcoin was at sixty nine thousand than i do now when it's at twenty six thousand uh so there was so i i i do feel like there's been an impact in my long-term savings maybe i maybe i should just be you know taking my taking the w the win and saying look you you got you got in long before it was um, in the twenty thousand, even long before that, so you so you've done well. But I, I do find myself empathizing with the civilization that I'm a part of, and I don't want to be a, a rich elite in a world filled with impoverished people whose salaries barely buy them food. Like I go to the supermarket and I see somebody's shopping cart filled with ramen noodles and rice, um, and I get depressed when I see something like that. Uh, it it's really troubling because I don't, because I didn't see that before the inflation started to hit. I, you know, I see these videos of people crying in their cars saying that they can't afford to fill up their gas, their car with gas or to buy food for their family or themselves. And it is, um, it's agonizing to watch. This isn't, this isn't the civilization I grew up in. Why is this suddenly happening? These are, or these are people who have, done what they thought was responsible. They've gotten an education. They've gotten a good job. They've worked at it for a long period of time. They don't have a lot of maneuverability at this stage. They did what they were supposed to do. They bought a house and they were making mortgage payments. And and so everybody's done what those people that they delegated responsibility to told them that they needed to do. And they find themselves in dire straits, um, feeling anxious and depressed and it, it it's hard for me to I, I just i don't personally have the ability to say well it's too bad for them i think i think we need we need to do something more dramatic than just um let it all sort itself out this way because it's not sorting itself out all that easily right now i mean we're whatever we went through over the last few years in, including the the lockdowns and and the inflation and the challenges to the economy is is not something that our politicians are 
able or I don't know if they're trying, but are not. it's not something that they're able to resolve. And, and the situation seems to be getting worse rather than better. It's not like, okay, well, the worst of it is behind us now. If we just, as we started with this news story, if we just say 3% is the target, everything's fine and we and we move forward. It's like, it's not fine. People's salaries, whatever inflation just came and hit us, which isn't going back, maybe, maybe it's only going to be 3% going forward, although again, it feels worse than that has set people back far enough that they are unable to exist above the poverty line. Um, and, and you know, there's all these dominoes that are about to fall if people can't make their mortgage payments or their rent payments. This leads to homelessness and, and other things. And it already sounds like people are dealing with a lot less food. Um, so it, se- it, seems, it seems very serious to me. And, and being shielded from it because I have savings doesn't shield me from living in a society that is suffering from this. I'd much rather live in a happy society with a with a thriving middle class and be one of the middle class than than live in some kind of elite status in a society where I have to see people suffering all the time. So one thing that you know, just a a comment or a note, you know, Tomer, you've been around for a number of epochs and so most of your bitcoin wealth has probably come from earlier epochs although i'm not you know obviously that's just an assumption maybe you've been saving a lot more these past few years and and you lost a lot from the earlier ones who knows uh i mean for me personally um you know like i said right i just i kind of recently got orange pilled and i started kind of from zero when i did get orange pilled because you know, I had made the mistake of of trying to trade options on leverage and got wrecked completely, hundred percent. So started from scratch, and it was right before the bull run. So didn't have very much going up that initial ramp, and uh, you know, even at the top, didn't have very much. And throughout this bear market, I've just been continuously stacking. So I mean, I feel, and I am, both in terms of Bitcoin and in terms of dollars much more wealthy now than I was at the top at 69,000, right? So I mean, that's just one one comment is like, I think a lot of us who kind of started later, who, who may have started even at the top, right? You know, a lot of people get in near the top, so that's just how things go. If you had continued to save through the bear market, you know, obviously you've got a lot more savings now, um, both in terms of Bitcoin and in terms of dollars, you know, now coming out of the bear market, especially. Um, so that's just one note. One thing I was going to ask, so I mean, Tomer, you know, you're in your 50s, so you, you don't have experience here, but Peter, I don't know how old you are. <laughs> I mean, does anyone does anyone here remember like what it was like to live through, you know, the the 70s with, with the inflation during that time? Because it does seem like the inflation during that time may have been even worse than what we're experiencing now. And I'm just wondering like, what was the the general sense at that time coming out of it when when everyone's you know savings basically got just I annihilated? Live, I did live through it, and and I as an immigrant from a country that had hyperinflation that had like multiple currency devaluations, I I watched it. Um, I watched it as a kid. Uh, it was it had different impacts on different people. I. I think that the 70s inflation was kind of different 
than what uh, history always rhymes but never repeats. So it, it was different in that we weren't a wildly wealthy society. We weren't a wildly automated society. Like, you know, most cars in America were American cars uh, in the 1970s. The, the 1970s kind of started to open up the door for people looking for more fuel efficient cars because gas was getting expensive. And so that's how Toyota and, and the foreign manufacturers started to see their market share increase because they had these small cars for these markets. Uh, these other markets where gas was expensive, where people were poorer. So, you know, it's like, it, it is interesting how we accepted things that that we would have deemed to have been poor people's things uh, as a result of inflation. Uh, there's an irony that, you know, the marketing of these things turned them around to say, well, Toyota's higher quality than American cars, especially at the time. And, and there was the struggles, but th things started to change. And and many things invisibly started to change as well. Like behind the scenes, we started eating processed foods, right? Because they were affordable. I, I remember the, the TV ads from the 1970s. Uh, I'll date myself, Peter, or the Carol Burnett show, which was like a big show that everybody watched. And the ads were all for the, the their, like craft was the sponsor. And they were putting on commercials for like how you could make food out of Velveeta cheese and craft macaroni and marshmallows and just all like all these processed foods that's when it really started uh replacing you know the craft craft logo at the time or slogan at the time like, i don't remember it verbatim but it was you know helping helping hard working families work less hard at making food right so we we're getting processed food because we couldn't afford real food and we didn't have the time to cook real food because now both people were working it's just like how many, but we're already at that stage where we're now eating processed foods with both people in the family working. How much more can we take? Like we can't put a fourth, a third and fourth person to work uh, in a household with only two adults in it. Uh, we can't eat more processed foods because they're already fully processed. Uh, we're just living really, really efficiently. And so I, I think, I do think we're getting stuck in this digital bubble. And, and one, you know, one great example of what happened with lockdown is we all started working from home. Now that, that may enrich us in some sense uh, that we get to be at home, but it took away from us the daily, and it took away from us what we call the daily commute, but it took away from us the office environment, the working face-to-face -face with people, a, a lot of things it kind of took away. And we're living poorer. And, and certainly in a lockdown situation, we're going out to fewer restaurants. That's a poor way of eating food. We're, we're, we're doing a lot less than we used to do um, because we're poor as a result. And, uh, and, I, and that to me is, I, I think, the thing I'd like to see us be able to turn around uh, slowly with, on a Bitcoin standard. And, you know, maybe just a few things that are a little bit quicker by reversing some of the policies that have uh, that have caused people to be poor and suffering. We're into the second hour already. In just a few more minutes, um, I'm going to invite my friend Fractal Encrypt up and we're going <laughs> to we're going to talk about uh, some more esoteric Bitcoin stuff, Bitcoin art, and Bitcoin mysteries and stuff. But let's uh, this might be the only news story we actually end up tackling today because I still see a couple of hands up. Uh, Peter and then Tao. I, I, although unless the hands went up in a different order, I'm just seeing you on stage for the first time now, Tao. How are you? 
Um, just real quick, my anecdotally, I was a preteen to a teen in the uh, in the seventies, and the the inflation for me, the inflation part was kind of hidden. It was more about the economic state of the country uh, was just in in significant demo, uh, downturn, um, and the 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 general poverty that was was um coming to the fore was was very visible uh i remember i, I remember the gas lines i remember um but there was also all of these events that were going on at the same time there was there was the end of the vietnam war there was watergate there was um uh, all of these other things that were were also happening at the same time that were very distracting, I think, um, from from the inflation piece. And I think when the inflation piece really came to the fore was when was when Volcker started. I think it was Volcker when he started to raise rates, and rates went went up to this incredible height. I mean, you know, I, I believe my parents. Um, financed a house at 17% um, uh, interest rate, and they had sold their previous house to finance the new one with what they called, uh, they used to call balloon payments. So there was a, a a small down payment made, and then within a year or two years, whatever you set the contract for, there was this huge payment that came uh, after that. And so people were really struggling to come up with ways to be able to deal with these super high uh, uh, interest rates. And, you know, every epoch, every every era is going to have um, different issues. Every era is going to have these different events that cloud things um, that 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 make it hard to actually see what's going on while you're living through it. Um, that's why historically, typically, people wait 50 years before they really start thinking that they might have understood what happened in an era before theirs, uh, because it allows for a lot of information besides the <clears throat> what the victors um, have decided is the history to, to come to the fore. So it was a really interesting time. Um, and, you know, it was one of those times where I think Tomer's right. There was just this huge, what happened in 1971 was this huge shift. And as far as the food, Tomer, this is the, this is the biggest, one of the biggest marketing scams of all time. The, 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 the food manufacturers started using the cheapest ingredient possible, which was, it still is high fructose corn syrup to make all of these processed foods. Um, they sold the American public on the idea that convenience was good and now what's going on is just the opposite. Now that now what they're doing is because what the what the industrialized farms and industrialized food industry uh, destroyed was our natural, organic, uh, local kind of farm and fresh food products. Now the marketing has done. They've gone just to the opposite end. It's actually brilliant from a marketer's perspective. So they sold us on this convenience thing, cheap food. It was great for the for the the companies making this stuff. And now what are they doing? They are now going back and saying that organic, fresh produce kind of way of life that we that we left at that time is for the elite. It's very expensive. And so now they're marketing this, this, what we used to get is just normal food. They're now marketing that as elite food. So, so they're, they're, they're bookending this, this era of, of, 
of uh, of of food management uh, that we that we have gone through along with the along with the the the, the fiat uh, mentality. Oh, man. Yeah, there's so many topics. We're just running low on time. I want to give Tao a chance. I want to give it. I want to get some time chain stats in, and then I want to get fractal encrypt. So I don't mean to cut you off, Peter. I think that there's a whole like there's there's hours and hours of content to do here. But Tao, take it away. Yeah, I'll go really quick. Um, so yeah, uh, Wicked was sharing some mistakes he's made in the past in regards to Bitcoin, and I have the you know, mistake of always repeating a panicked selling every time we drop below a certain amount, so sub twenty k, sub thirty k, sub twenty six k, like, and now I'm just catching up. So I just want to make sure people, you know, don't don't follow what I do, but always panic selling. Panic, panic selling your dollars, right? <laughs> Okay, and then um, really quick, um, I don't know if this is, what do you guys think about this, but I bought my house back in uh, 2005, 2006 for 585, and it's been a little bit over 17 years, and now that 585 house is worth close to a million dollars, so that's what inflation is kind of crazy, and I don't know how people are going to be able to afford a house you know, in the future if they have to save so much money, that's all I have to say. What are you talking about? Houses went down like fifty percent over the past few years. <laughs> you people who are on a Bitcoin standard are confusing the people who are not on a Bitcoin standard. <laughs> so so uh, it, it'll be interesting if you if at some point in time we're kind of we actually are at a point where you're not giggling after you say this, but enough people actually help hold this point of view and. Um, and, and are are talking about the differences because this this is you know as Americans who the majority of the show are and Canadians uh, as well versus people in the rest of the world who have dealt with currencies that lose their value all the time we might be looking and saying things are getting you know things were getting cheaper and they weren't getting people in countries with rapidly devaluing currencies so uh, as as ironic as it is to refer to some of these things, um, we may find ourselves in that in that position. And I think that's that's for me going back to the previous discussion about uh, the middle class. I think that's what's really heartbreaking. If our if the middle class that we had in the West is now becoming like the impoverished cl- class of people that we always thought was only true in other countries, watch out. Like that's that's not a great thing. Like when you visit these countries and you see the poverty. You don't you you think oh that's foreign it's alien it's not it's not the American way. I hope to God it isn't. What but it it sure feels like it's what we're headed to if we don't fix the money um, in the West. We're going to turn to brighter news. Um, although first I wanted to get um, I wanted to I wanted to uh, give a quick shout out to, to those of you who haven't yet purchased tickets to Pacific Bitcoin and are thinking of it. It's going to be a great conference. It was a great conference last year. You can certainly check. Um, there's an amazing sizzle reel. Maybe I can get uh, Jacob to share it. There's going to be amazing speakers, and there's just going to be an amazing vibe out there. And and I think this the kind of conversation that we've been having here today, to be having it in person with people who share these values is exactly what Pacific Bitcoin is all about. And there's a joy about it. Right? There's not uh, there's not uh, the sense of dread. There's a sense of hopefulness, of like we've got something that will take care of those of us who are prepared to participate and take responsibility. And it will hopefully turn around the situation for all those people who haven't 
uh, been able to yet. So I, I think it's going to be a great conference. Um, PacificBitcoin.com. Uh, I know that there are uh, there there are discount codes. I, I sent one out today in the Daily Bitcoiner. If you're not signed up for the Daily Bitcoiner, go to DailyBitcoiner.com. You get a quick uh, email in your inbox every day with like a news story or a video, a meme of the day, job of the day, all all this kind of good Bitcoiner content. And the code there is just daily, which is a 21% savings. I don't know, Jacob, if if there's another code you wanted to share. Maybe there's a cafe code. I just haven't been briefed well enough. Uh, not blaming anyone. I, I, did, I didn't take the time to brief myself uh, before coming here. And then, um, and then I'm going to turn it over to our time chain stats, because to, to, I know that's a, a really important daily feature. And then we'll get uh, Fracco and Crypt up here. And thanks, Tomer. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What do I have? Um, hash rate on the seven-day average. Right now, it's moving around. It was like over 400 something, but now I'm seeing 351. Mempool transactions still very high. It's uh, 379,000 and change. Uh, it's moving around. I mean, the fastest Wait, that, fee right that's now way, is... That's way down on the mempool. It, that, wasn't that sitting at like 700,000 transactions not that long ago? No, no. You might be thinking about megabytes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking about mempool size. Uh, 700 something megabytes was what I was saying the other day, but... No, like mempool transactions have been around like 300,000 something for, you know, the last duration that I've been looking at this thing. But I mean, you know, you saw that the blocks were coming in really fast. We had the difficulty adjustment and now they're coming in a little slower. Uh, fastest fee right now, still pretty low. It's 10 sats per B byte relative to what we've seen. Mining revenue in the last 24 hours. Did we just lose Ant? Yeah, he probably got a phone yes, call. Yes, I just lost. I just lost Ant. Uh, could could be that he got a phone call. What? Um, we. I think he got most of them. Can you hear me now? Out of the way there. Yeah, we can hear you. Now. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, weren't you complaining a little earlier about Wicked's DSL? What? Two hundred forty-six days to go until the next having, depending on how you're looking at that. Uh, the last block was found by Foundry USA. Uh, the average fee in that block was 6,478 sats per transaction. And the subsidy plus the fees that Foundry received in that block was 6.43 Bitcoin. Nice. Nice. What's, what's the lowest sat per V byte that cleared in the last block? Oh, I don't know. I don't have it right in front of okay. me. I mean, we can right, go find cool. it, but I should add that. I, uh, that's what I am. All, I, I, I kind of always look because I'm pretty patient for most of the stuff that I do on chain. And I'm like, what's the lowest? You know, is it going at six or seven? I'll bump it by one so that I know I'm I'm kind of in the queue. But sometimes sometimes you send something like I, I was opening up a lightning channel a couple of weeks ago with a friend. And I think I, I think I put in seven sats because it had been six and then. Uh, you know, a wave of things came through, and it took a couple of days to clear uh, until the weekend hit. But it was um, it was interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I used to show them. all those, but I took them off for some reason. I just need to put them back. Yeah, I always, I always tack on uses. the the point one. You know, that's that's the trick. If you're gonna if yeah, you're gonna do six bonus. six point one, yeah. you need a seven seven oh, six, point one. You do a decimal. I have always yeah, gone buddy. in increments. Of the full, oh, wow, okay. I just learned something new. See, everyone every day can learn something new 
about uh, Bitcoin. I always feel like, skip, you know, throwing skip one that line. Skip that line of normies doing yeah. just straight up nice. <laughs> integer. Nice. Well, but now you've told everybody. You've told everybody in the secrets, and I'm going to do 6.15. 6.15, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to um, turn the topic uh, to a friend of mine, Fractal Encrypt. Welcome to the stage, buddy. Uh, we've got an interesting story to share today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks very much for having me. For those of you who aren't familiar with the work of Fractal Encrypt, I encourage you uh, to be familiar with it. If you if you follow Michael Saylor, you will probably have seen Fractal Encrypt's work because many of Michael Saylor's uh, video podcasts uh, he does with uh, this beautiful full node sculpture uh, behind him uh, that Fractal Encrypt created and which Michael Saylor purchased at auction. Uh, there were there were ten of these. Each one was unique. Uh, they have like 21 concentric rings of d data and detail that are all finely carved and, uh, and intricately laser engraved. Uh, and it, and it is, um, it's kind it's kind of a moving piece to see if you study, if you study Bitcoin and all the mathematics behind it, just to see this, all of these, uh, elements of Bitcoin actualized in concrete form in, in a beautiful sculpture. And, and these, uh, Full node sculptures are not the only amazing works that uh, Fractal Encrypt has put together. He did these uh, keys for Proof of Keys Day, and he's got a new piece uh, out uh, that uh, is about to be listed for auction on uh, on Scarce.City and and put on display at the Bitblock Boom Conference that begins tomorrow. If I've got all that data right, is that accurate? That all sounds accurate, and that's a heck of an intro. Thanks very much, my brother. Oh, it's uh, it's cool. I I um I kind of want to. This is a bit Gonzo, uh, in 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 sense of Gonzo journalism. It's like journalism about one about oneself, but uh, that like Hunter S. Thompson pioneered. Uh, but it, it's kind of curious. I was writing an article. Well, I you contacted me about a week and a bit ago, uh, saying that you were working on this new sculpture of yours and that you wanted maybe to see if I could help you come up with a name for it. Um, and it was about Bitcoin's mysteries, or mysteries inside of Bitcoin. Um, and uh, when that message, when that DM floored by it, because I had literally just the night before finished writing an article called Bitcoin, an endless chain of mysteries, which was my personal inquiry into many of the cool mysteries that lie behind Bitcoin. And we had not colluded in advance to say, well, why don't you do a sculpture about Bitcoin mysteries? And I'll do an article about Bitcoin mysteries. It was just kind of one of these amazing synchronicities. Um, and and so I, I told you how floored I was and shared the draft of the article. If you kind of want to talk about it a little bit from there and uh, how we ended up uh, doing a little bit of collaboration on this. And I'd love, oh, I, I see Jacob's already shared um a link to the art to the article in twitter up at up in the nest and it's got i think it's got a picture of your new artwork in there but go ahead fractal i, I don't mean to dominate the conversation here no that was extremely serendipitous that uh like you said i was kind of searching for a title for the sculpture because 
I just I just couldn't come up with something. I had bounced off a whole bunch of different ideas in my head, kind of like like the Enigma machine. I was almost like kind of coming to you for just like synonyms, like, hey, maybe can you help me think of a synonym for mysteries or something enigmatic or you know, I'm just trying to trying to come along with this thing. And then your response was that, yeah, I just wrote a whole article on the mysteries behind Bitcoin and it's like, okay, this is crazy. Uh, because it's not like we hadn't been talking recently, like Tomer and I have you know, kind of over the past month or two, just been chatting about different projects and different ideas that we were having and things that we were working on. And none of them were related to the mysteries in Bitcoin. So both of us took this weird kind of perpendicular turn in in our creative journeys without mentioning it to the other one, and then reconvened at this place where we both kind of ended up in the same locale. And it was extremely interesting, I think, to say the least. And I always find that the projects that work the best for me that I like drive my passion the deepest have this serendipitous aspect to it like the Bitcoin infinity keys that you mentioned that really just came about through total happenstance that you know I made this little test thing just to try out to see how colored mirrors would look together and then the guy that was purchasing that sculpture suggested that one said, fuck your shit coin was my test, uh, my test piece. And he was like, well, that's really cool, but that's a little aggressive. I don't know if you want to do maybe a cool one, like a, like a infinity divided by 21 million. And then you can give one to Canute on, on the actual day. And I was like, damn, that's a good ass idea. So these little things that come about, even the Bitcoin full note sculpture, when that came about, it was totally serendipitous. I was actually at a Bitcoin conference in San Francisco, ended up walking over to Hippie Hill and Hate Ashbury and just kind of thinking about the different things I saw during the day and just, you know, it just kind of all came together. So I'm really excited about the Endless Mysteries project because I think uh, Bitcoin for me is an endless rabbit hole. I've always liked sciences where they're very new and you can kind of dig into it and have an impact on what's going on. Uh, I've always been into like the mushroom science because it's very new. Like realistically, people haven't been growing mushrooms uh, commercially since longer than about 100 years. It's about 100 years old. So in the 70s, we had a lot of advances. In the 50s, we had a lot of advances. And then when the Internet came along again, we've had a lot of advances. So there's people that can make a big difference in these uh, scientific disciplines. And Bitcoin is so new that, I mean, we're not talking 100 years. We're talking 14 years. So I think there's a lot of room to learn together, to grow together. and um, you know, to see where this thing is going together. So I think uh, everybody loves a good mystery. So it dragged me in. And I think that's how how I got here. Yeah, that's great. This uh, this work of art of yours, um, is, is it available for like, is it available for viewing on Scarce.City yet? Or is the listing only going up in a Yes, it is, it is available. If people go to the scarce.city site, the very first thing it says there's like a, a bit block boom uh, drop that includes all the art pieces that are going to be unveiled tomorrow. I was hoping to actually unveil my piece uh, for Infinity Day. So I kind of fumbled that just because I was driving, but I figure everything happens as it should. And um, I'm going to do my little unveiling of it uh, tomorrow when the actual conference starts. But if people are curious to see it, you can actually get a little head, uh, get an advance on everybody else and jump over to Scarce.City and see all the videos and pictures that are there along with the uh, the item description. And uh, I kind of feel like this piece is a little bit of a yin to the yang of this Bitcoin full node sculpture. So the Bitcoin full node sculpture is very instructive. It basically takes the takes the viewer through everything that I, that I knew about Bitcoin that I could kind of put all into one place. So it's kind of like an educational thing. It, I, I say that the Bitcoin full node 
it it teaches whereas endless mysteries asks so it kind of acts as like a where the full node sculpture basically teaches you this one makes you ask the questions you know what what's going on here and why did why was this done who is this person how does this thing all come together why are people doing this what like why does this work like this and as you answer more of those questions you get a more familiar with how things work and more comfortable with how these work. And uh, I look at Bitcoin as a tool for self-sovereignty and any tool, as we know, it's just used better as you become more familiar with it. So the tools are out there to educate us on how to use these tools. And there's even more more education coming every day. And I think like I, I try to access as much of that as I can um, because I just I just learn from it. Um, I actually joined a group of uh, Indian Bitcoin developers recently. There's a, a class called Bitshala that they go through learning Bitcoin from the command line. And I was doing that for the past month. And it was super awesome uh, to just get into the to the details. Oh, I'm looking forward. To, <laughs> I'm looking forward to what art that inspires from you. I uh, I have a little bit of a background doing command line Bitcoin stuff myself out of necessity because I was trying to use features that didn't have a graphical user interface for uh, way back a number of years ago. And I, it was amazing how much I learned. I, I mean, I nearly, I nearly, <laughs> one thing that I learned is you must include the fee in, in, uh, in transactions. Cause I ended up crafting a command line transaction that had very, uh, that had a negligible fee to it. It was like one sat per V byte or whatever the default, or maybe even nothing. No, fee. Sure. this is, this is back in the days when no fee transactions, uh, we're clearing, but it was also I happened to broadcast this during the the height of the block size wars, and fees were really high. And so, my and I thought I was only sending point one of a Bitcoin, but I, I was not good at UTXO management. I know a couple of you, were, and so I actually had all my Bitcoin in one UTXO. And when I sent the one Bitcoin, the point one Bitcoin to or point oh one Bitcoin to the person I was sending it to, all my Bitcoin was in that transaction. <laughs> And so yeah. all my entire Bitcoin transaction, my entire Bitcoin stack was unconfirmed for weeks as I waited for it. And I must admit, I was quite anxious. There were actually uh, um, explorers at the time that kind of indicated when your zero fee transaction might get mined because of sure. because miners were giving preference to them based on their age and some multiple of their age and the size of the, uh, the amount of Bitcoin that was being transferred. Eventually, the transaction did clear. And I breathed a sigh of relief because I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I wasn't in a panic. I hadn't sent my Bitcoin to the wrong person. But I also, <laughs> my node thought that they were sent you know, back to, back to me, but not spendable yet by me at the time. Um, and, they, and so they were floating in the mempool. Uh, so those those mempool stats uh, and time chain stats became very important to me in those days, and I learned I learned a tremendous amount how to set up. The perfect example, so, so exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. If people you get used to, okay, I just open my mobile wallet, I click send. You don't really understand what's happening behind the scenes there. So to actually create a Bitcoin transaction, you started off with one of the most critical things is that. You have to include the fee, but the fee is not explicit in a Bitcoin transaction. You just include your input and your output, and you have to actually do the math, like how much are you going to send the miners, and you don't actually include that anywhere in the transaction other than just the difference between your input and your your outputs is, is the fee, and that can be super tricky to people, um, and then – like you said, the unconfirmed transaction, once you submit it, you know, some, if you tried to do that same thing today, you wouldn't even be able to broadcast it because there's a minimum, 
a relay fee. So that wouldn't have even broadcast. And, you know, each of these is, is a learning experience. And I think that there's a huge value in getting under the hood with a lot of this Bitcoin stuff and seeing how it works, because just like a car, you can always take your car to the mechanic and pay for them to fix it. And you have no clue how they're doing what they're doing. I always say it's like they're fixing the flux capacitor and your DeLorean. So you don't really know how all this is happening. And this is actually you know, your Swiss army knife of self-sovereignty. So it, it kind of behooves all of us to just see how this works, be comfortable with it, learn, learn. And uh, I always think it's cool that there's something like testnet and signet where you can actually just go and learn how all this works for free with kind of zero consequence in the sense that, you know, if you do screw up, then you don't have to pay for it. But I, to this day, like to send transactions manually. And I, I made a mistake the other day and I sent 10 times the fee that I meant to send because I did the math wrong. So I meant to send 2,000 sats as the fee. I sent 20,000 sats as the fee. And as soon as I saw the outgoing transaction, like, you know, in the node, I realized what I did and I had this sinking feeling in my stomach, like, oh shit, I miscalculated. I missed a zero. And luckily it wasn't that big of, a, of an expense. I think it went from 60 cents to $6. Uh, was my was my mistake there but obviously like the more zeros you miss the bigger deal that can can become so i think like you know learning hard lessons also with bitcoin is is important chalk it up for to the sure. game feed your miners yeah <laughs> for sure wicked i see you've got your hand up you want i was gonna to i was i was gonna ask so on, on the topic of the zero fee uh you know back in the day when you could do that i mean there must have been a handful of of transactions in the mempool with zero fee, zero, you know, zero Satoshi fees that got dropped once, you know, you know, whatever update happened where you couldn't, you could no longer submit zero fees. Right. And does anyone know, like, does anyone remember those days or yeah, what became of that? I mean, obviously they just, I mean, I'm I'm assuming they just got dropped. Right. Or did they, or was there kind of like a, (laughs) like, okay, we're just going to mine all these and, and get through them. I don't know the actual. I don't know the actual history, and it's it's interesting. Um, it's a mystery. Tran- it's a, it's a mystery. Every transaction that ever gets mined is there's a permanent, indelible, immalleable record of it. But transactions that never got mined are forgotten as though they were never broadcast ever, unless somebody's keeping track of the track of them somewhere. So it's kind of this interesting thing of getting in there. So I, I mean, I could offer some speculation, but it would be nothing more than the sheer speculations of. Uh, of of one person who doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about really he's just making it up um you know i I think transactions that got dropped eventually didn't clear and eventually people who had sent them would have to resync their node if they if they were working from a node to to reflect that that transaction isn't in the mempool and doesn't exist they'd have to drop it from their I, i i never learned how to drop it from my my node i don't know if it if that's an easy thing to do or not, because my transaction did get confirmed in that case. So I don't actually know what happens if it doesn't get confirmed. I've, I've since had transactions that have sat out there for a long time um, waiting to get confirmed, but I've been so much more mellow about it. Like I'm, I have no anxiety, right? Like I've tried to set up lightning channels with people at times when a big surge of transactions came in and I'm like, hey, don't sweat it, buddy. We, we weren't going to spend, we're just setting up like like with uh, Peter earlier today, we we just got our lightning node set up. We want to open channels for liquidity, but we're not doing anything with them yet. They're in the mempool. They're going to get confirmed. We put in a low fee because we didn't want to waste uh, sats on opening the channel. And the channel is going to be open for years to come. 
who cares if it's ready today or a week from now? And I was able to be totally chill. And, and that's what I was saying to Peter at the very beginning for people who've been listening all two hours of, of this thing, waiting. <laughs> you, you do something uh, with your Embassy OS or, or Lightning node, and then you wait. Like you wait for the channel transaction to be confirmed and to have six confirmations, and then you can start to use it. So um, lots of fun stuff. Um, I, and, and I'm sorry that I don't have an answer for you, Wicked. Maybe a, a better Bitcoin historian will know about what's not in the blockchain. Nowadays, they have a lot of people that are watching closer. And I've, I think people have even begun logging headers for um, transactions that come in that, that aren't you know, actually fully validated or anything like that. So there are definitely people now that are doing like mempool archaeology that wasn't probably as popular back then. But we did have the same type of uh, mempool limit. So each full node is going to have their own specific mempool limit. And you could change that on your node. It's just a configuration option. So most, I think the default is set to like 300 megabytes or something where nowadays where people are doing all this ordinal stuff and the mempool gets really full, like then you would have, uh, if you don't update that, you're going to actually be purging a whole bunch of the transactions from your mempool. But other people that increase their, increase their uh, cash would be able to hold those uh, smaller transactions longer, they wouldn't purge them. So it's just a matter of how each person handles the mempool to when uh, transactions actually get purged. In the past, though, an unconfirmed transaction to me was almost like as soon as you sent it, you almost just didn't have to worry. Like once you could just see it in the mempool, it was basically as good as confirmed, you know, as far as I could, you know, could tell uh, nowadays that you have actual transactions that are getting bumped down because people are spending a thousand sats per byte. Uh, you could have a situation where it doesn't confirm for a long time and then you have to figure out. But I think nowadays we also have things like child pays for parent and RF, uh, the RFB. Uh, RPF. Yeah. Replaced by fee. I knew. Yeah. I was, yeah. So you have the, the replaced by fee. And then it's interesting because when I was making the manual transactions, originally I, I wanted to figure out, like, how do you turn on this replaced by fee flag in the mempool so like if you need to replace like you'll be able to and i learned all about the sequence field in a transaction so the sequence field is usually set to this very high number like four million something uh but if you just set the sequence number to one that was the uh, rbf flag and that would allow your transaction to rbf but when i tried to create that now with the new versions of bitcoin core um starting with 24.1 if you do sequence one it it won't broadcast it anymore because Basically, the nodes are set to RBF by default now, uh, so it, it just doesn't uh, like now you just don't have to put that sequence code in, in raw transactions anymore. So I think that kind of went a little orthogonal to the question. I apologize. Get back on track here. <laughs> it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, what, what, I mean, I, OK, so practically, you know, that <laughs> that I'm scared of a high fee future, right? Persistently high fee future. I think a lot of people yeah. have. <laughs> have have realized that this is a fear of mine and I've kind of been stirring the pot trying to get people to learn UTXO management in case that ever happens, right? But it'll be interesting if it does happen and we kind of find ourselves in a future where the mempool doesn't clear for a very long time, right? I wonder what will happen to all of those transactions, especially the ones that don't have RBF turned on, right? And we're considered good as, you know, basically all set, right? I mean, a lot of the times, like if you're purchasing something online or if you're, with, you're getting a withdrawal from an exchange, you know, they'll turn RBF off just so that you know 
you know, there's no, there's no funny business that they can do to like kind of, you know, replace it with a fee and then send it back to themselves or, you know, whatever. Right. So they'll turn RBF off. But what if those get purged permanently because we just decide like, well, you know, it's been five years and <laughs> zero, you know, once that per V-byte uh, fee rate transactions have, have actually been confirmed. So we're just going to purge these permanently now from all, you know, from all mempools. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what waves that, that kind of, you know, what kind of effects that have. Um, about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is another mystery. I mean, I love talking about the, the situation that you bring up with the fees and, and whatnot. And I, I do think, you know, I've been through a bunch of fee spikes. I've seen it, seen it, seen them come and go. And uh, I do think we'll get into a situation at some point where the mempool pretty much just never fully clears. And you do have transactions that that just are purged from the mempool. I think we're pretty much going through that now. We're seeing like uh, transactions get purged and and you you need to resubmit that. Although now, like I said, with with uh, the replaced by fee and the child pays for parent type transaction allowances, like you, you are able to clean that up a lot easier. But to your other point about the UT, first of all, I love that you are on the UTXO management tip. I think that's awesome. I think everybody should learn that. I don't think it's for the reason that you that you teach. And that's fine. Like we could be like at, at odds on that. But my thought process is eventually like this 546 sat dust limit is going to be changed because the value of Bitcoin is going to be so high that yes, you may be paying a huge amount in purchasing power for a transaction fee. Like, so right now, okay, you pay a few, few pennies for a transaction fee, maybe a few dollars at the most, if you're doing some insane thing, but like in the future, okay, maybe you're spending 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, $10,000, like in purchasing power value, but the Satoshi value is so high that that's only just a few sats. So like this, concern over oh my utxos are too small for me to be able to spend and then i'm not going to be able to spend them uh like i just see a different future but i think that's all good i think we have to prepare for every eventuality and and certainly in the short term i think it's it's very insightful and people should should manage their utxos regardless they should be aware of what size their utxos are and how they're going to spend them and how they're going to expose them when they do spend them to others and, and things like that so i love all that and and I think it's great. And that's my thoughts on sats. <laughs> Let, let's, turn, let's turn back to this question of mysteries because we, you, your sculpture has a bunch of mysteries in it. My article has a bunch of mysteries it discusses in it, and maybe there's some uh, curiosity. So like the centerpiece of your sculpture is this, um, is this pattern. Right, right at the very center is a Bitcoin logo, but surrounding it is this pattern of blocks that are concentric and vertical and decreasing in perspective and size and they form uh, these cutouts for these six-pointed stars. It feels very M.C. Escher-like uh, looking at it, uh, but it, it's an entirely unique pattern that you've developed. Is that correct? Yes, it's definitely a direct homage to M.C. Escher, and there's actually another artist that's less well-known called Oscar Rustrevard. It's basically an homage to both of their styles where they had these impossible geometries and they were able to draw things that you could never architect in 3D because you could just draw these things due to perspective in a way that you'd just never be able to build them. So in a way, they make the impossible possible. And I saw uh, the same thing from Satoshi. He basically is making what was once thought to be completely impossible. It was basically proven to be impossible, which you bring up in your article. 
um, the problem of distributed consensus and, you know, basically, okay, this is a solved problem. We can't do it. And then someone comes along and actually has constructed something using a different medium in a way that it actually does work. And now they've made the impossible possible. So I had actually created that design many years ago because I've always been into the geometry stuff. Like one of my first art books that I got as a, as a young person purposefully um, uh, was MC Escher book that my grandmother gave to me. She had it in her, in her library and I just fell in love with it. It was like this 1971 um, hardbound book of MC Escher. And I just brought that home and studied it and how he created these things using the mathematical uh, grids and, and, and how you could kind of morph and change geometry to do things that, that just, were actually kind of tickle your brain with mystery. Like, how is this possible? Um, so, yeah, I wanted to bring a little of that wonder into the piece. So that that's kind of what what that uh, that's inspired it's, it's by. It's amazing to me, right? And again, the, the same uh, serendipity as you said, because what I wrote in my article, again, without without knowing that you had made an as the first of the Bitcoin mysteries, I covered three of them. Is that Satoshi solved a problem that was proven to be impossible to solve. So he he made the impossible possible in solving this double spending problem, the Byzantine generals problem, and, and how he went about solving it in this medium um, because people had had too tight a constraint on it. And he, he, he settled for eventual consensus. Um, and as soon as he settled for eventual consensus, cons decentralized consensus became possible. And that's, you know, that's when we talk about proof of work and, the chain with version with the most proof of work being the valid chain, that was his tremendous innovation. And he took this idea of proof of work that had been sitting on the shelf really untouched for nine years uh, at the time and mixed it in uh, to Bitcoin to solve the problem that people said had proven could not be solved, not in the strict definition at least. But who cares? Yeah, I lost when I pretty much read that paragraph of your of your article and because you had not even seen my piece at that point. I read your your thing first before you even saw the the design, I think. So I was like, yo, this is too perfect here how these these things are lining up. So and speaking of serendipity, the whole this whole piece kind of came about again through serendipity. I had actually a, a bitcoiner came to my hometown and and he just said, "Hey, can we meet up?" So we actually ended up going and hanging out. There's like this really beautiful paradise place uh, by my house. I took him over there to check it out and then we went to this like historical uh place for for lunch and we're we're chilling out and I had made a t-shirt with this same design on it you know many years ago and i happened to be wearing it and he looked at it and he said oh that kind of looks like the blockchain and i was like you know i like kind of had started working on something like this with blockchain a few years ago i should go dig that up and i went home after the meal and kind of dug it up and and I, I kind of saw new life in, in what I had previously done. And I think you and I had talked about some of this where you kind of have a project, you start it and you leave it off because you think it's not good or maybe not worth it or something like that. And, or maybe it's just not its time. And so I'm looking at it again and just kind of new 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 visions started to, to all come together. And it just felt right. So then, you know, once I had that, I just told my wife, I was like, you know what, I had actually been working on a completely different project. I was working on this really intricate bank uh, vault project where the, you know, all the gears moved and it did a certain, you know, uh, specific turns at a, at a specific degree. And like, I was kind of getting really lost in this and I, I wanted to have something available to display at this bit block 
Boom Conference tomorrow. And this is only a month ago. So I was like, I'm just probably not going to finish this one here. This is a, a good one, but this is like a little too intense. So I need to just kind of go back to the core of having fun with art, just being, you know, just be with with the images and just kind of let things flow. And it's it was kind of a different experience to me. A lot of time I'm really into mapping everything out. But this time I just like kind of sat there with it and things went really quick. And I was able to kind of put something together for this uh, for this event. I'm always nervous to show things and uh, to, to other people. You know, it's like you, you work in private. No one knows. No one cares what you're doing. It's it's kind of uh, painless and no risk. But as soon as you show it to other people, I, I always get a little nervous for that. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful piece, right? Um, it is a beautiful piece, and I'm sure people will be once again say uh, <laughs> fractal encrypt has done, has done it again created this beautiful piece of bitcoin inspired um artwork uh and in this particular case um uh, again just totally totally original and and bearing this uh this mysterious uh impossible design in the middle that that i guess as as you said causes one to ask well how did Satoshi achieve the impossible design? How did he make the impossible possible? With just a few minutes left, I thought it's, it's also interesting because it, it is this end, this circular revolving endless chain that you've got and, and you now have named your piece an endless chain of mysteries, uh, which, coincides, which coincides with the name of the article that I wrote. And for me, this was the second piece, which I, which I just think is fascinating. Like we are, Bitcoin stays alive. And this is, both the second of the, so first of all the bitcoin blockchain is an endless chain of mysteries and and what do i mean when i say that it is like nobody knows what the hash for the what the nonce the hash for those of you who understand a little bit about mining nobody knows what the solution to the next bitcoin block is and nobody will until somebody figures it out and publishes it and as soon as they publish that solution to the next bitcoin blockchain everyone can verify that that is a valid solution and so that it is correct and that solution becomes the problem, part of the problem of the mystery of solving the next Bitcoin block. And this will go on forever. And that, that's why I say it is an endless chain of mysteries solving the, the next Bitcoin. And Bitcoin survives through this architecture of having an endless chain of mysteries. There's always work to be done that nobody knows. There's always a problem to be solved that nobody knows what the solution to that problem is. And only one problem to be solved. No, you can't start working on a block that's two blocks from the tip. Uh, you can only start working on the on the tip of the blockchain, and and as soon as it's solved, you can start working on the next on the next block. And it it is this recursive chain of mysteries that recursive, like the you know, for people who understand what recursion is, like the positive integers, it it just keeps going up by one every time uh, every time it is solved there's a new problem to work on so it's just um and that's what inspired me to name this article uh bitcoin is an endless chain of mysteries because it really and truly is yeah that really kind of lit a fire in my mind when i saw that uh the endless chain of mysteries because it it truly did really map onto the art that i created very seamlessly in the sense that it was like you said it's an endless chain that that's kind of in the visual description there and the the prose description there is just so powerful that that yes like bitcoin is basically a mystery machine like when i was a kid i used to watch scooby-doo these people all got into the mystery machine and it drove them around onto these things they didn't trust they had to go verify for themselves and 
you know, and every time they found somebody who was kind of working in their own self-interest and Satoshi again solved for this mystery of how do you like create a system that works by kind of just going along with human nature, not fighting human nature, just, you know, people are who they are. Let's try to like devise a solution for it, for working within this. So yeah, all that kind of really flowed well. Also like the the sentence in your piece where it said Bitcoin is mysteries all the way down that also resonated and felt what right for the piece as well in the sense, because it kind of invokes a, a little bit of sense of the rabbit hole because there's this never ending mystery that you can just keep on going and learning about Bitcoin new things and, and how it works and how it's created and how like just the whole, the whole how, why, what, when, where is just that, that mystery just never ends as far as, as far as I've seen. So um, there was definitely a deep resonance between the two, two pieces. So I don't know if there's any truth to Young's collective unconscious, but maybe we both tapped into the same mystery vibe at the same moment there yeah it's a mystery why we both tapped into the mystery vibe and that's a mystery we'll probably never solve not in our not in our <laughs> lifetime uh but it is it is it's kind of fascinating and um and i i do i'd love to get um more images of your artwork um in in the nest here just for people to see it but it's it, the website is scarce c s c a r c e dot c i t y the city is the top level domain and you're saying uh, go there and click on the Bitblock Boom. Uh, yeah, the very thing, and you'll be able to see uh, to see all of the different uh, pieces there. And if you're at, if you happen to be at Bitblock Boom, it will actually be on physical display at some gallery there, I presume. Yeah, I'm gonna try to get it right in the front where when you walk in, you can't miss it. Is my plan. So we'll see how see how it goes. But definitely come check me out if you're in Texas and uh, and you want to see some cool Bitcoin art. Uh, I, I wish I could be there, and I hope to someday. I hope to someday do like a world tour to see all the different Bitcoin full node sculptures uh, that you've had, or maybe someday some someone will put a, ga a touring gallery exhibit, and the owners of these sculptures will uh, donate them for for a tour because they're all unique and they're all uh, they're they're all brothers or sisters to one another, but each one each one has all of its unique characteristics, and it would be an interesting puzzle just uh, oh, that seeing be cool. them all in person. Yeah. Yeah, it's been suggested before and I've actually thought of doing like a little traveling, you know, Bitcoin art show just to bring people together, do like day of talks and night of cool art and music mm -hmm. and stuff. So I think that would be a, a fun thing. We'll see what the future holds. Yeah. It is amazing to me to see what inspires artists in the Bitcoin space to make uh, Bitcoin art, you know, depending on their, they're obviously the unique talents and the unique gifts, but the way that Bitcoin projects through their talents and what kind of artwork it creates is this collaboration between an artist and the entity of Bitcoin. And so it's like, it's co-created by, uh, by the artist and Bitcoin, this self-surviving, self-propagating lifelike entity, um, the likes of which we've never seen before. I mean, we've just never We've never had something like Bitcoin that finds um, symbiosis with uh, with with the human race to to just continue to to function to provide something of value to humans and ha and the humans provide something of value back to it in return. And a lot of people have uh, tried to write about that. I have myself as well. It's um, but as it manifests itself in the form of art, I think is 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 for for many of us the only way to deal with it. Like I need to look at something or I need to read a fictional tale because I, to confront the thing as it actually is, is too complicated or too scary or too hot, too hard. 
Um, and I think as an artist, you take inspiration from life. You know, like anywhere you are, you just you're gonna pull inspiration from you know the books you read, the things you see. Just every little thing kind of pull, pulls itself into the the domain of inspiration. Some things are more so, some things are less so. But that symbiosis comment that you had is is it made me smile because I think there's something about Bitcoin. That makes me personally just you think about it all the time and you're kind of looking like someone said earlier through that Bitcoin lens at the world. And I, I think this changes your perception and you do have a symbiosis in some sense. So when you have the symbiosis happening, then you also can reach this inspiration level where you're like, wow, there's this beautiful elegance that's happening here that that I want to like describe to the world. I want to show this to, you know, bring other people into this. And, uh, you know, so I think like that's one of the, one of these things that art allows us to do, like with the Bitcoin full node sculpture, it was like, you know, me personally, I was also just learning all this stuff about Bitcoin and just trying, you know, anytime you're trying to teach other people, you have to learn it better because you don't want to teach things incorrectly. So I try to get more into it, more deeply understand these things so that, you know, if you're creating art that's supposed to last 100 years, you don't want to have mistakes in it. So, it you know, I just spent a lot of time working on it and then. You know, so all that I wanted to share with people. And then the more that I learned, it's just like there's all these assurances that you get. There's so much like, you know, solid foundation there. Yet there's just so much mystery and so much that you don't understand. It may never be able to be understood. It's just like permanent mysteries, like the pyramids, like, you know, just probably not going to figure some of this stuff out. And that's OK, because every, you know, the a solved mystery is less interesting than a, an unsolved mystery, I think, for the brain. So. I had an art teacher once tell me that if you make something perfectly symmetrical, uh, people will think it's beautiful, but they'll just, you know, they'll look and then they'll go away from it. They're not really super interested in it because your brain looks at sim perfect symmetry and it thinks that the problem's solved and it doesn't have to think about it and it just goes on with its day. But if you break symmetry in certain weird ways, then it makes the brain kind of like hold on for a second and say, wait something's weird with this pattern. Let me check it out. Like what's going on here. So I use that a lot to kind of draw people in just I, like, I'll do a symmetrical thing, but then like, we'll break it in certain places that are just subtle enough for the the brain to be like, wait, hold up. What's going on here. So, <laughs> uh, you know, little art tricks, I guess. Nice. Nice. I think a perfect, a perfect example of this is the G in Google uh, is not symmetrical. If you ever noticed Oh, I didn't know that. It's to draw your attention, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, obviously, you're not going to know it just by looking at it. But if you start to put some circles and lines through it, it's, it's oh, yeah. totally, totally not symmetrical. Oh, that's cool. Peter, you've got your hand up. Did you want to say something? Or is it just yeah, I want to ask Fractal a question. So as you were talking about the rabbit hole and it just never seems to end and, and kind of that thought I, I thought to myself because I'm always thinking about you know monetary systems and in, in, in the past and and money in the past versus money today with Bitcoin and it I started thinking I was like to myself I was like wow that's the difference between one of the differences between gold and Bitcoin is is gold probably doesn't have this kind of deep story and then it made me think and I was like well Maybe 5,000 years ago, maybe gold did have this deep story that people were talking about. But what really then my next thought was, wow, there's this intersection between gold and art. So money and art and gold is actually, you know, a material that's used to make to, to this day make you can make beautiful things out of gold. Um, it's a very malleable metal, et cetera. Um, and so what I was wondering was, is what you thought about this, you know, this past intersection 
between a monetary unit uh, and art and now this current one that that you're in, if you've ever thought about that? Oh, I've definitely thought a lot about this. And um, I, I think that gold does have a very deep and interesting story. There's just so much cool and interesting stuff about gold and the history of gold and you know, atomically, it's interesting, and the way and its and its properties are all super interesting, and it's you know the its use in humanity as a form of money is is super interesting. And I heard someone once say that like Bitcoin is kind of the first form of money that humanity has actually had. So to call Bitcoin money is almost like an insult to Bitcoin because like the things that we've had before are relatively imperfect. Like gold is one of the best things that we had up up until. Bitcoin as a as a hard money, but it, it has its limitations, which Bitcoin basically absolutely crushes. Um, but its use in ornamentation, obviously, is, is an interesting one because gold does make beautiful things and it is things that would last for thousands of years. So it's a really interesting art medium in, in terms of, of its use for items of beauty. And you know, like I actually saw one time Snoop Dogg was wearing his his uh, ledger. Uh, as a jewelry item and I had like diamonds or something on it. And I was like, okay, not, you know, in the past we had rappers that wore gold chains and, you know, in the eighties and nineties, now we have rappers wearing Bitcoin uh, jewelry. So I think Bitcoin in terms of art is something that, that we're confronted with. And I think the more tasteful version, I think that was like a super tacky uh, version of it, of course, but you're seeing a lot more tasteful versions of, of kind of bringing Bitcoin into the art realm, you know, I do my attempts at, at that. Uh, certainly, like that's kind of what what drives me is to kind of create like a visual representation of Bitcoin. I've even tried to make like what I think a Bitcoin looks like in 3D software and stuff. And I think like um, other people are doing the same thing, where they're just basically like trying to see. If you think of physical Bitcoins, you know, the Casatius coins, which are one of the historical ones, and now there's a whole bunch of coin makers that will make physical Bitcoins that can actually be loaded onto the coins. So now you have something that's basically a bearer asset. Um, those are super tricky though, because there's all kinds of issues with how the keys are created and the key generation and who has the keys and um, and all that, which is of course one of the uh, controversies o- over the original Casatius coins. But I think all this is super cool um, and definitely interesting from an art perspective. And yes, it's something I thought about. So I don't know if that answers the question completely, but that's some some initial thoughts on that. It's amazing. I wish we had more time. I, you know, here I was at the beginning of this show, nervous. How am I going to fill two hours? And uh, and the time has flown right by. Uh, and and we are uh, we are at a, out of time. So we've got to move to wrap up the show. I, I will just again uh, as a couple of reminders. If you want to see Fractal's work, if you want to buy it and bid on it, it, it with Bitcoin, scarce dot city and the Bitbot boom. Uh, things. If you want to read my article, there's a link to it up in the nest. I think that there were a couple of transcription errors. <laughs> so uh, the word translate for some reason replaced the word solve. So we, we, if you see the word translate, just use it for the word solve. And there may have been a grammatical uh, error to introduce, but otherwise that's the article is solid there. Uh, Pacific Bitcoin, as we mentioned, is coming up, pacificbitcoin.com. I'm saying use the code daily. Uh, you can probably There's probably some cafe Bitcoin code you can use, but save 21%. It's going to be an amazing show. I can see up in the nest that coming up in just an hour's time is another Swan Signal episode hosted uh, by Sam Callahan from Swan, our lead analyst. Uh, he's got great guests on uh, today again. Uh, if you haven't had enough Bitcoin content yet, which you can never have enough, uh, that's coming up and that'll be available um, on YouTube and, and as podcasts. 
Um, Wicked, I see you've got your hand up before I say the final things. What is it that you've got to get at here? Well, I just wanted to ask, you know, Fractal Encrypt, uh, do you ever plan to make, you know, pleb-friendly priced art pieces ever again? You know, some of us have this uh, this uh, infinity key hanging on our walls, and, and, you know, we, we would like to have more of your pieces, but of course it's, uh, you know, they're so scarce and... <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and so few in between that they get bit up past our uh our affordability so i was wondering if you're ever going to make some pleb friendly pieces again or was that kind of a one-off deal i tell you that turned into far more work than i ever thought that uh i was going to get myself involved in so certainly that was like um a learning experience for me so um i think Certainly, it's something that I, I, I like to do. In fact, with this piece that I just made, I was thinking of doing like a little canvas print, like a cool black and white canvas print that I could could make, like definitely within the pleb friendly price range. And uh, that way, kind of spread the message, get it more out there. And uh, so, yeah, definitely something I want to do as far as the sculptures for the pleb pricing. Sometimes that might happen. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but it's just I just like really kill myself over every little detail so there was like a whole lot of uh waste and learning in terms of trying to get each one of those to the to what you actually have on your wall today so definitely uh that was a really cool cool experience for sure but super challenging sometimes i think in life we don't know what we get ourselves into <laughs> i will say this i i've known fracta long enough to know that he doesn't know what his next uh, three or four yeah. projects are. It, it is a mystery. So I don't think he can actually answer your question, Wicked, and and who knows yeah. what the future holds. Uh, but but I know that Fractal doesn't only work in the medium of sculptures. He does work in the medium of fiction. And so things like the Time Chain Codex, which is a book, uh, yeah. sci-fi book, uh, that he did. You can you can get you can get a free PDF of it at the Swan website, and and you can uh, order uh, hard copies of it somewhere. I'm not I'm not exactly sure where. I've got a couple of copies myself, and it's beautiful. And if you I do have one on my website. Yeah. Okay. And, and 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 there's a special sculpture that Fractal has made that you can put it in, which is, with a lock and key that is uh, that is not uh, plug pricing um, as well. But it's it's something to behold, even just in video. I'm, I'm going to have to wrap the show because I've got to run to something uh, else. Uh, so again, there is a new episode of Swan Signal coming out in just an hour. Uh, you have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Uh, the place for great morning news, the preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the Bitcoin industry. It is available as a podcast on Fountain, on Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, as well as other podcasting platforms. Uh, thanks again to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show for all that they do. And special thanks uh, to the whole crew who are up here today. And Peter, behind the scenes, sets for life's wicked Dom. Uh, our producer Jacob, who made it so smooth uh, for me, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to host. Uh, Alex will be returning, I believe, next week to host the show for you every day. Uh, thanks to Fractal for coming on. Everybody, love it, love you guys. Uh, it's, hope you have a great day and crush it. You can obviously tell I'm reading from notes that Alex has left behind. Uh, and I will finish off with a thought, a final thought here: of, uh, Don't shitcoin. It is bad for you to do so. Have a great day, everyone.